Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I get to talk to a friend of mine that uh, I really appreciate, my friend Brian Sauvet. Brian, you doing good, man? Doing well. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing very good. Doing very good. Why don't we pray, ask for the Lord's help, and then yeah. we'll talk about also. I mean, you're no stranger to controversy, so we'll just uh, we'll dust up a little bit more controversy today in our conversation. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's pray, Father. We just thank you for this time, and I thank you for a brother from Utah, from all the way across the country. We get to talk using technology, and there's so many things that are used and misused, and we get to use this uh, FaceTime conversation for your glory and honor today. I pray that you would lead us and help us have a good time, just really have a conversation about what you're doing in the world and what you're doing in the church, and, and just direct us in this conversation. I trust you're going to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, man, so bring me up to speed. How things going? Uh, the church, family, you, you doing well? Yeah, these these interesting times, you know. We're yeah. doing well, though. Good. We've been... Uh, Back at church for since April, and um, just really proud of proud of our church. We've got the men have been singing like this is random, but the men have been singing so amazingly well recently. Good. Singing the songs, like just lifting their hands at the end. So, man, at home, kids mm-hmm. are, like the kids are three days after I tweeted, like, "Hey, let your boys go do dangerous things. It's uh-huh. okay. They need to conquer." Ira goes and I heard about this. It's a concussion. Oh, has to man. go to the ER. Ended up going in Grace Agenda with us. So, but well, it's good. Good. Yeah, we prayed for him. Jordan was telling me Thank Lexi. You. Lexi was giving us the play-by-play over Boxer, as as our wives always do, and so oh, we stopped yeah. and prayed for him. And I'm glad that he recovered. Now, is he fully recovered? Has he had any yeah. residual effects from that at all? Yeah, he's been himself. He, he was about three days recovering, and then. We've tried to keep him like, hey, don't jump, climb, run. Impossible. Right. It's like yeah. whole, going up into the wading into the ocean and trying to like kung fu the waves back. They just... <laughs> oh, man. So how about you, man? What's what's going on down there in Seville? Oh, man, a lot, a lot of crazy things, but good things. When I look back at 2020, I'm trying to assess this year as we look back. I'm hoping that it's not going to be, you know, everything. Yeah, that was a crazy year. I, I hope it's going to be just a, a year of celebration and joy. And, and so far, it's been that. I think we're really excited about baby Providence. Providence Ray yeah. is coming in, in December. So we got three more months. So we've been doing some projects around here. We've been remodeling the boys' bedroom downstairs. So we moved Ransom and Valor in together in the basement. And so we had to remodel a room that we've not, we hadn't finished it out yet. And so we'd still just, it, the drywall was up, but we had not finished the drywall. And so we did that, the floor painted uh, and moved Ransom and Valor down here. So we got that room done. And then Jordan and her mom did a lot of work on the upstairs room. So so Ransom's old room is going to be Providence's baby room. So the nur- nursery is going to be upstairs with us. So we've been doing that. Uh, man, we had some crazy things with, with my father uh, I don't know if if, uh, if you've heard. I think you've heard some of the stuff that's going on with that. But uh, so we've had a wild ride with my dad, and um, we're yeah. uh, so listeners. You don't know about that, but we're we're going through some issue issues with my father that have needed to be addressed, and uh, some patterns of behavior from him, and some mental difficulties that uh, you know it's just been a, a difficult thing to yeah. navigate. I think you know when you're a little older, you're prepared 
to handle things with your parents that you you might not have been prepared for when you were in your you know teens or twenties. And so yeah, you know the the difficulties with him hasn't it really hasn't taken away. You know, even it's been another layer to twenty twenty that's been unique, but it's not yeah. it's not robbed my attention. If that if that makes sense, I've mm-hmm. I've had some times where I've had to wrestle and pray and and you know grieve for him, but overall yeah. the family's well. And then on the church side, the church side, man, we've been plugging along like you guys. I think was your first Sunday back the thirty first of May or like that last week in May. Eight, I think we were April 26th or 9th, 29th, somewhere, somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay, so you may have been before us. And we took, I think we only took uh, two, we did two weeks off where we did only the mm-hmm. video. And then we yeah. did a few weeks in the parking lot where we did the parking lot services. I think we did four or five weeks. And then we've been back since then. And I think you, you're doing the same yeah. thing as us. No matter how, how bad, it, how, you know, quote unquote bad it gets in the fall, we're not going to be canceling, yeah. canceling again. So we're not... We're oh, not yeah. doing any of that, and our church has responded really well. And so, overall, you know, I think our people are doing well. And you know, I, generally, Brian, I think you're probably, I think you're like me as well. I'm just, a, I'm, I'm happy. And so, for me, life's great, and things can be going crazy and chaotic around me, but I'm enjoying life and loving my family, and and things are going well. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So, yeah, man. But uh, you caused a, a little bit of a stir on Twitter. Now, I'm off of Twitter now, but somebody screenshotted yeah. a tweet you shared last week. Uh-oh. We were just talking before, and yeah, the, the one that was from four or five days ago. And yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And specifically, <laughs> specifically, I'll have a, well, you're going to have to read it though, because I don't have my computer screen here. I, you're going to have to find it. Okay. And I'm using, we're both using I've our phones, it. actually. You've got it. Okay. So yeah. I want to I zero in on. What role does natural law play? Now we got to think First Corinthians chapter eleven. Nature itself teaches us that it's shameful for a man to have long hair and for a woman right. to have short hair. So, what does nature teach us about manhood and womanhood? And what in that conversation is missing from you know Big Eva's conversation about gender and sexuality? And so, I, I think a, a lot of that plays into your your tweet and then we might get into some other stuff, but let's just kind of go back and forth on that. So why don't you go and read that tweet and then, uh, <laughs> I'd love to hear the initial response. Maybe if there was layers of responses, I'd love to just hear oh, about yeah. it. So, so why don't you just go ahead and bring us up to speed on what we're talking about? Sure. I'll preface it by saying I tweet at both men and women and men's issues and women's issues, but you can only do so much in 280 characters or whatever we're allowed. So, this was, the, this was the tweet. It was directed to the ladies. It said, Many women underestimate the influence that they would wield at home with a few simple acts. Wearing dresses more. Smiling a whole lot. Cultivating sexual responsiveness. Covering offenses with grace. Verbally respecting her husband. Smiling femininity is powerfully culture-shaping. That was the tweet. Okay. So... I love that uh, that you're speaking to women, and uh, you're a preacher of the word, and the word speaks to women. Therefore, we That's should right. be talking to women, and we shouldn't be sugarcoating what the scriptures have to say. We shouldn't be sugarcoating yeah. trying to challenge women to step up into their femininity. Uh, so I applaud that. I love it. I think it's great. My Thank wife, you. my wife loved it. I know your wife loved that. But it seems that some others didn't love that. So tell me some of the responses and like. <laughs> Uh, what, what happened after that? Oh boy. Okay. Well, this happens every six or eight weeks with my Twitter account and it's, it's not from the people that follow me, but 
if a tweet is gaining a little bit of traction, you know how the algorithms will be like, hey, maybe you would like this sweet other person who doesn't follow Brian. Mm-hmm. And some of those other people this time were like Pulitzer Prize winning non-Christian writers, I guess. Um, one guy had over half a million followers and he quote tweeted it and, and actually told all of his followers, go dunk on this guy. Like oh literally go comment on this. <laughs> so I've had two and a half thousand comments, one and a half thousand, no 1.1 thousand quote tweets so far. Okay. And those are the bad kinds. Those uh-huh. are the ones where people like retweet you to dunk on you mm-hmm. and you know, just a whole lot. So basically Lexi's getting messages saying, if you need help getting away, getting out, from this abusive relationship that you're clearly in. Oh my gosh. Uh, message <laughs> He just got another one this morning. Oh my gosh. Uh, misogynist. People screenshot it and it ended up... Uh, the transformed wife, I don't know if you know her. I don't. She, she was the one who started the kerfuffle about men prefer to marry debt-free virgins without tattoos. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I do. I do remember that. She follows me on Twitter and apparently enjoys my tweets because she always screenshots them over to her Facebook that okay. has like 100,000 followers. Okay. So now it's Facebook, Twitter, email, carrier pigeon, my <laughs> wife, my church, you know. <laughs> People are not pleased. Yeah, okay. Now, but you take a very principled approach to Twitter. You're not on just Twitter just yeah. to create a, an unintentional dust-up. So what's your right. motive uh, behind being on Twitter and saying things like that? Why, why are you doing that? Yeah, okay. I use Twitter very intentionally. I schedule most of my tweets ahead of time. I'll usually schedule, like, a topic that I'm going to tweet about five or six times in a day, and I'll write them all out on, like, a Friday, schedule them for Monday, think through them. I'm trying to ask, is this true? Is it helpful? Is it timely? Um, those kinds of questions. Can I defend? Could I defend this before somebody who hated me? Mm-hmm. And uh, would I want my church to see this from me? Because yeah. they'll probably will at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main issues that I'm trying to tweet about, because I, I think natural law is, is related to this too, but Christian anthropology is the front line right now of Absolutely. defending the Christian faith, you know. Did, did so you, I real quick, real quick, yeah. um, did you happen to read, it was Owen Strayan's book, and I thought it was very timely in the introduction where he recognized that the issue of the day, of this millennia so far, mm. is anthropology. It was called, um, it had a real witty, uh, something, human, what was the name of it now? Um, mm. It was called uh, Reenchanting Humanity. Reenchanting oh. Humanity. It came out this year. And in that introduction, exactly what you're saying, he, he identifies that anthropology is the issue. It's the image of God under yeah. attack. And anyway, so mm. uh, if you haven't read that intro, I would recommend it. Man, I haven't, I haven't heard of that book yet. I love that title. Yeah, That's it's, one of the main losses that we've had in modernity is we've disenchanted the world. Mm-hmm. And so everything is just moving atoms and parts. And how could you have a meaningful concept of a person? if that's what the, the world is. Exactly. So, yeah, I agree with that. I love Owens. I follow him on Twitter, and um, I, I really like his stuff. But haven't read that book. I, I'll, I'll check that out. That good. 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 Yeah. So, okay, keep going, though. So you think that's under attack. Oh, yeah. And so you're specifically, you're wanting to target that. And so as you're scheduling your tweets out, I mean, this is very intentional. Yes. I, what, I, what I did, and I, my wife and I walked through this maybe three weeks ago for her own Twitter stuff, because neither of us have time to be you know, wasting time on things like Twitter. Mm -hmm. We want to be intentional. So what we try to do, both of us, is 
you know, pick a few categories that we think are important, um, that we're qualified to talk about, that we have something helpful to say, and and then under those big headings, write out maybe ten or fifteen subheadings. So it might be like um, femininity, you know, mm-hmm. Christian, femi- peculiarly Christian femininity, and then we talk about like, okay. How do, how do I think about dress? How do I think about relating to my kids? How do I think about the home? How do I think about food? How, you know, and so then we'll kind of draw and try to focus the the messaging and the content towards those things. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly you know at, the things I tweet about mainly are pastoral theology. So I'm a pastor, and uh, there are a lot of pastors who follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian masculinity and femininity, and that's a big one, and those relate to each other. Uh, also I tend to tweet a lot about the Psalms, singing them, mm-hmm. uh, in theology of worship in the church. Um, and then also like, uh, I don't know exactly what to put this under a heading, but something like cultural engagement or, um, public ministry to, I, to idols, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, abortion. Yeah. Um, and those overlap a lot because the idols tend to be located in that anthropological world. But, right. Yeah, yeah that's so, what we're trying to do. So that's what you're trying to do is be this, this uh, you know, little P prophetic, bring the scriptures to light, and then let people either, you know, war against it or submit to it, but not trying yeah. to pretty up the scriptures or, or like help the Lord out by uh, trying to yeah. soften the blow of what the text says or soften the blow of what God demands from the world. And then, you yeah. know, either gonna people are going to raise their fist in rage or they're going to bow their knee in repentance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And both are success. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely. know you hit. You know you hit when um, it's. You know you've hit when you hear. What is it? The the when you throw a rock at a pack of dogs, like the one that got hit is the one that yelps. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. You know. Sometimes you, you're just being a jerk. Yeah. But, you know, provided that's not true, then. Right. That response of hatred and reviling is one that's promised to us if we're faithful. Exactly. And that's one that the church, I don't think, because of, and this is my theory here, because of an overflated missiology and an emphasis on public witness, we have not been willing to be disliked by the world. And so we're sacrificing obedience to God on the altar of public witness. And so that's why I think so yes. many people have been denying the praise of, and you know, saying, thank you, John MacArthur, because he's not bowing down to what the world thinks of him. And we've been catechized by missiologists over the last 20 years and in church planning strategists to be as pleasing to the world as possible, to you know make, yes. make the world like us. And It all comes out of that friendship evangelism, yes. seeker-sensitive worship services. It's Absolutely. all related to the same core idea of all related. you convert a person by getting them to like you yeah. first. Right. Absolutely. And then you build a bridge, and that's yeah. just not a common way in the New Testament that you see people getting converted. Yeah, and how twisted this gets is that the commands to love the people of God, that God's people love God's people, gets twisted into uh, love the world and be willing to offend the brother. And right, yeah. that's that's not the way the New Testament portrays Christian love for brothers and sisters. We're to love each yeah. other and not love the world. It doesn't mean we don't love the lost, but our priority of love is towards brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if somebody's going yeah. to be offended here, I'm going to offend the people that God says is going to hate me, and I'm not going to offend right. the brother. And so the rhetoric in all these public issues in 2020 has been, it's been gaslighting like crazy, especially from big, big Eva and big organizations like crazy. They can mock everybody in, that's in the conservative right, 
and the average Joe Schmo Christian from all throughout you know the Midwest to the, the coasts, and then the minute they get a reaction from Christian brothers to say, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right, then Big Big yeah. Eva is saying, wait, look, you're mean. I don't like this. You guys are being mean. Yeah. You know, this is what we're talking about. And <laughs> it's yeah. just crazy. But uh, okay, so... I remember years ago. Let's pick on. Uh, we'll even we'll even name him uh, Matt Chandler. I, I learned so much from Chandler. You probably did. I'm going to yep. assume at some point in your life you've learned sure. a lot from Chandler because we're <laughs> similar in age, and anybody yeah. similar to our age learned has learned a lot from Chandler. And at one point, I remember a sermon that was so powerful, and I remember loving it and re-listened to it and re-listened to it. And he, I remember saying on complementarianism, he said that the difference in, in men and women are not about ability; it's about order. And he screamed, order, this is about order. I don't care if your wife is, is, is a leader like General MacArthur, or General somebody, I don't even know if that's the right name. Yeah, uh, sure. But it, this is about order, not ability. And that made a lot of sense to me. It sounded right. But as, I, as I've gotten older and as I've studied the scriptures, I've, I've realized the error of that and realized yeah. the minimization of that kind of argument. And now it is rearing its head in many ugly ways because I think we've been nervous about biblical patriarchy and the goodness of that. Um, what is the error and what leads, what, what, uh, when we have errors like this, where does it lead when we say that the differences in men and women are not about ability? It's just about order. This is just, God just said it to be this way. It's not really about ability. What, what ends up happening when we go down that route? Yeah, that's a good question. You end up basically, well, you have to do a couple of things to get there. You have to essentially plug your ears, close your eyes and shout out the world because the world is not like that men and women are completely different things Mm -hmm. in the way that they approach nearly everything in the world you can look at you can see this in ten thousand sociological areas like think of invention why why is it that men tend to invent so many more things or have been behind so many more inventions because men are really good at single-minded obsessive focus on one thing filtering out all other things, sometimes to the detriment of those other things, mm-hmm. like your family, right. you know, and, and women are different. And we could go there. I'm not just talking about physical strength or anything like that, but there are real differences. And so if you, in order to get there in the first place, you have to kind of shut your eyes and plug your ears. But then what you end up also doing is you basically say that God just made this arbitrary coin flip sort of distinction. And mm-hmm. it's, there's no real reason for it. Right. It, it, instead of God created men to fit this task and role, God created this kind of androgynous lump. Mm-hmm. And then he took a big butcher knife and he chopped it in two. And then he he flipped a coin and he said, left blob is going to be <laughs> submitting to the right blob in marriage and the church. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing you do is you end up denying these distinctions as they leave the the family and the church. So we we have an ecclesiocracy hmm. in a, in a lot of ways where we say only men can be pastors and uh, wives submit to your husbands in marriage because we have like clear teaching on those. Yeah. But then when you get out into this, and I disagree with these distinctions largely anyway, but like the common kingdom, the mm-hmm. non-redemptive kingdom, right? Those distinctions evaporate, and all of a sudden, you know. If you're thinking about, like, should I vote for a female senator mm-hmm. or a female president, it's like, who cares? It's, right. It doesn't even matter. There's no difference between men and women. Right. And that's, Isaiah 3 would disagree mm-hmm. along with, the, like, there's a reason that Deborah is a judgment. Yeah, <laughs> And it's exactly. because 
she shouldn't have had to do that. She was not fitted for that creationally. And, and, and nor and nor was you know when the argument of Deborah comes up, I always want to come back and say, well, when you use an example of something like that, then the same her the the same hermeneutical principle applies to somebody like King Josiah, and we could be right. saying, well, he was an eight year old. Look what God did. That's a, clearly a principle for yeah. how we should function today in the local church. So we need more eight year old pastors. Way more. Yeah, yeah, way more eight year old pastors. Rather than seeing, <laughs> you know what I mean. So that that yeah. that that is so misguided when it comes to yeah. how we function as a local body and how we understand the scriptures and the 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 whole Deborah thing. Well, what about Deborah? It's like what about Josiah? Yeah. You know, raise yeah. your, your eight year old sons, the next pastor of our church. You know? Right. What about Deborah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about what about Yael and you know the tent stake? And I'm like, well, there's yeah. you know there's some seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. You know, mm-hmm. so there are other things going on here. They're not necessarily prescriptive, but we just, you know, we get kind of squeamish about these things and, and we end up being just, we sound, well, actually it's gaslighting. Mm-hmm. It, it should sound crazy, but it doesn't sound crazy. And so even like the things I put in that tweet, there are verses for each of the things I suggested, mm-hmm. even something like wearing dresses. Mm-hmm. People are like, where's that in the Bible? Like, well, yeah. women are not to wear the garb of men ah, for a reason. Yeah, true. yeah, yeah. That's good. And so dresses you know, in our world, our, I didn't our catch that. That's good. Feminine, uh, covering offenses with grace, the Proverbs. Mm-hmm. But we look at those kinds of things and we just think those are so arbitrary. Uh, a woman can shave her head and, you know, put on coveralls seven days a week and she's not doing anything wrong yeah. or shouldn't think at all about what she's doing and what she's saying with how she's dressing and acting. Yeah. Yeah, see, I think I think First Corinthians eleven for me has been a treasure trove of understanding what what nature itself teaches us about gender, yeah. and there are things that in in society that we recognize universally recognize as right and wrong, even by those who uh, whose worldview would say otherwise. So, a couple examples that I think about, well, one in particular is Grey's Anatomy. There's a scene where years ago the far liberal, I, I can't remember her name, curly haired girl from like the Philippines or something like that. She's a doctor. And there's a scene where a man comes in and the the woman is shot and it's a boyfriend-girlfriend situation. And what happens as the story unfolds is that the boy jumped behind the girl and shielded himself with the woman. And this far left liberal crazy girl on the show, the doctor, says, what kind of man are you? And if she was consistent with her worldview, she should have celebrated this scene. Finally, finally, yeah. men are shielding themselves with women. But even in that, you know, like, finally, you know, we finally arrived. Progress, you know. And, oh, boy. And, and, and yet, based on natural law, people simply know that is wrong. There's something profoundly yeah. wrong about any man who would hide behind a woman. And that's deeply theological. Deeply yeah. theological. Okay, let's think about this. Uh, what we call progress and what the world is actually called evil by God and what God calls evil, the world calls, you know, uh, you know, the world calls good. And we, we know that there's an upside down way of, of the kingdom of darkness. But um, I said in my sermon yesterday, or Sunday, I said somehow in our country we are more offended, we have become more offended, we've been catechized by the world in this, more offended a woman who would choose to be barefoot in, in the kitchen and cooking than we are a woman bleeding on the battlefield. Right. And in reality, we should be weeping and wailing that the United States is actually considering drafting women into the military, our daughters, wives, daughters, granddaughters into the military. And nature itself teaches us that's wrong. 
and evangelicals are ill, unprepared, unprepared, and many complementarians yeah. are unprepared to be able to say that that's wrong because they don't have an answer for it. Yeah, they just want to do theology by proof text. Yeah, and and not by good and necessary consequence by with cunning reading the book of nature that God has written and what He's put inside of humanity. Uh, even that, like, I just got an advertisement for the Marines in Marine Corps trying to get me to join up. And I was like, <laughs> hard pass, number one, uh-huh. because here in this ad- advertisement, we have a woman mm. in, in front of a jet fighter. And I was just thinking, well, it, it, it reminded me of something that uh, Doug, Doug Wilson said about where this, where this is coming from is the church, the, the, the culture's downstream from the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. He said, we put women behind pulpits long before the air force put women in the cockpit of F-16s. And I was like, wow, if we're ashamed of these doctrines, the, the culture that we build from the cultists, from our worship will reflect it downstream. Yeah. Inevitably at some point. So, you know, shame on us that shame on the church of the last 150 years that we're doing that. Yeah, if there is a failure in the patriarchy, to use the language of the day, if there is a failure in the patriarchy, we're looking back into the 1850s, Second Great Awakening, into the liberalism at the end of the 20th century. Um, you're looking at, uh, or excuse me, into the 19th century, and um, you're talking about the failure of men back then, and then downstream from that, from from decade to decade to, to a whole century, you're talking about a confused group in society about what man and woman is, and that's why we have the gender confusion today is because we don't have clear answers about the image of God from the pulpit. And we have people that are terrified, absolutely terrified, to speak to uh, to speak to these issues. And, I mean, from the largest yeah. denomination, we have these issues going on. I know we're Southern Baptist Convention. You're not. We are both a part of the same network. Within the Southern mm-hmm. network, there's discussions like crazy happening about uh, gender roles, and they're absolutely terrified terrified to speak to explicit text forget natural law they're not even going there like there's there's not even a conversation there they're terrified of the the clear explicit texts themselves yeah older women teach the younger women to be oikodespot to be workers at home lest the word of god be reviled correct yeah but we would rather that's not even that that's just the text it's just the text and we would rather the word word of god be reviled than even say anything about it (laughs) that's what even today i tweeted about um I basically that seminary and said, you know, if you uh, young men considering seminary, whatever you do, don't get yourself in debt. Make your wife work through you through seminary and delay kids because you'll graduate disqualified on the basis of First Timothy three, four, and five. <laughs> For real. And one of the an, a Crossway author, I, I, she wrote confronting Christianity. I can't remember her name. I don't know. Um, pushed back on it. Basically said, where are you getting this? And I'm like, I'm not even doing really deep theology here. A man who doesn't provide for his house is denied the faith. Yeah. Uh, we're to teach the, the younger women to be workers at home. So the word of God need not be revi- is not reviled right. and debt is a slaver. And so you put those three things together and you're not, your household is not qualified to be replicated in pastoral ministry. So no, but Brian, Brian, of- Brian, Brian, you can, you can suspend those qualifications for a season. Can't you? I mean, my goodness, <laughs> why does that matter if it's just four or five years? I mean, come on, lay off. It's like, it's like suspending building codes at the foundation and then build, and then you know reclaiming them once you start with the walls. Right. <laughs> it's kind of an important place to have them the yeah. building codes in place. <laughs> right. You know, people could say about manhood and womanhood, what's the big deal? I mean, come on. But when we're talking about the image of God here 
And then we see all the splintering from a confusion about what it means to be the image of God. You, you talked about we didn't God didn't just create this adron, adron what was the word adronomous androgynous androgynous yes or I've, this, a, this asexual lump and yeah. and then you know put the arbitrary title of Adam and Eve toward them. He created mm-hmm. man and woman as image bearers, and let's not strip it of his dignity by saying but different we were created equal and then bestowed so much glory beyond equality and so when we talk about the image of god here it is a it is a it is a true gospel issue about how do we live as human beings what does it mean to be fallen and what does it mean to be a restored individual who is gendered and these are yeah. these are central issues central issues these are not on the periphery trying to you know, like, you know, like we're splitting hairs here. These are central right. issues. I mean, do you agree? Oh, 100%. It, it, look at almost any issue of the last 150 years, and it would be, if not solved, it would at least be helped by having masculine men in pulpits and feminine women at home. Okay, go through some it, of these issues. Go, go through some of these yeah. issues and explain them. So let's take, you gave the example of the, the Second Great Awakening, mm-hmm. and think about the way that the, the Second Great Awakening basically shaped our ideas of even something as fundamental as what conversion is. Right. It shaped it around an emotionalistic experience yep. to such an extent that if you didn't have one, they were saying, you need to get the altar call and come get saved if you didn't have one. Yeah. That is very much an effeminate, an yeah. effeminization of regeneration. So that idea is, you know, everywhere in Christianity to the point where the men who were put forward for the pastorate were effeminate men because yeah. they were more overtly emotional. And like blue collar guys, you know, work in the fields, they would go, I don't want to be a pastor. They're mm-hmm. like the guys crying at the front of the church all the time. Right. And you can cry in church. You can have emotions. Emotions are good. God gave them. God made the limbic system. Right. It's all good, you know. But when we effeminize you know, the culture, when we lose this kind of, no, a, a, a pastor should be a man and he should be a masculine man. And doing then, pastoral ministry in a masculine yes. way. Downstream from that, you're going to end up with or effeminate men effeminizing doctrine and practice and orthopraxy. Yep. And we're talking about the doctrine of salvation now, to where people come into my office and they're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, do you believe the gospel? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I'm like, I know this person, like I've seen fruit right. and I'm like, what, what are you, what are you struggling with? They're like, I, you know what? I just, I don't feel like a Christian all the time or yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. And I just go, so mm-hmm. you, you need to tell your heart to kneel to the King. Yeah. You know, your heart isn't lead. You're leading your heart here, brother or sister. You don't need to have, you're not going to have these emotional experiences. That's not what Christian fruit is. Yeah. According to scripture, it's it's involved, it's related, joy is related, but love, joy, mm-hmm. peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, most of those are not emotional things. They're adjacent to emotions, but they're actually about self-ruled men and women being ruled by the Holy Spirit, going yeah. out and subduing the flesh, crucifying the flesh, and cultivating the new man through grace in real outward things, you know. Yeah. So that's just one example. And, and that example has borne fruit from generation to generation to where today, in the public square, when we have all these issues, let's just say COVID and race relations in our country right now that are facing us, that require 
uh, they require a biblical worldview to be thinking through appropriately, but also require time to be able to assess the situation, get data, and then come to some conclusions about what's going on. And that's not acceptable in our day because of a feminized culture and society, story and emotion Emotional appeal and story yeah. have become the facts, quote unquote, that, that's become the truth of our day to where truth, facts, yeah. data, that doesn't matter at all in a discussion. Yeah. What we need to convince the masses is not truth. The masses are convinced by emotional appeal and media sat- sob stories. And, mm. and that's where we're at today. And I think you're right. That's one thing that all the way down from, you know, the Second Great Awakening. This is an example of, of downstream of the failures of of the men in our country, and we I, there are true again patriarchal fa- failures in the past yeah. of, of yeah. you know embarrassment of the scriptures and not speaking prophetically to to the needs of the day. So, is there anything else that you can think of of the last hundred years, hundred and fifty years that uh, that could have been addressed if um, if we had these if we had a handle on these issues biblically? Yeah, take um, take the issue of abortion is another yeah. example. Yep. Um, where basically abortion is the total atomizing of the self to where people become like little gods of their own universe that get to decree the good themselves. And instead of this model that said issues of sex, family, masculinity, femininity, and fruitfulness are basically, they're not decisions and issues that you deal with in isolation. They're issues that you deal with in the family, in this rightly ordered family uh, and but now it's like if you we, even if you go to the, if you go minister in an abortion clinic, people roll down the windows and they'll say things like, "Do you have a womb?" Mm-hmm. Or you know, I, I notice that you're not a woman, and it's mm-hmm. it's like if you're not a man or if you're not a woman, you can't speak to these issues. Think about how different that would be if we still viewed those things together in their biblical setting and context, which are those are anthropological yeah. questions. Those are questions of order. Uh, and of design coming together. Right, know? right, absolutely. I was having a conversation just yesterday on Facebook with uh, a gentleman who posted about MacArthur's statement, if you're a Christian, you can't vote Democrat. At this point in this season, I fully agree with that. If you're voting for Biden, you're in yep. sin, and there's no way to get around yeah, that. These are not just spectrums within uh, Christianity yep. that we can pick. These, This is a matter of obedience and disobedience here. And so if you're, if you're voting, yep. regardless of your color, if you're voting for... Joe Biden, you're in sin. I mean, it's just as clear as that. If you're you're voting for murder, and uh, yeah. I, one of the things I posted on in response to this, we were going back and forth, and uh, I said uh, voting for. I think the whole point is in this comment. The the guy was long story. Somebody piped in and said, "Why does it? Why why does Biden uh, vote for the? Why does Biden stand for the the murder of children because he's pro pro choice?" And I just wrote back because because he believes it's okay for doctors and women to kill children. <laughs> And yeah. like it's it's as simple as that, and there's not a, an ability to think through that in a rational way. That's where we have degenerated yeah. as a society because of the rejection of what the Bible teaches about mankind. Yeah, um, and you, I think one interesting. You, I thought of this while you were something you said made me think of this, and then think of it again just a minute okay. ago. The the reason that young men are gravitating in droves towards guys like. Ben Shapiro, James Lindsay, uh, you know, they're Steven Crowder mm-hmm. is because those guys, they're not, I don't think any of those three people are Christians. Mm-hmm. Steven Crowder actually, I think might say he's a Christian. I think he does. Yeah. I, I think he says he is, but I don't follow the guy, but I see his popularity. 
the reason that young men are going in droves to that and also leaving the church in droves is because young men are like, wait a second, if if Christianity is like this, and but every instinct in my maleness says that I should be like this, like ar- even argue with facts and not right. my feelings, like the Ben Shapiro thing, yep. then I don't want Christianity. And mm-hmm. our answer should be, that's not Christianity. Christianity, yeah. has, you know, as John Piper said once, I think, has a masculine edge to it. Yeah. We worship a father mm-hmm. and who sent his son to save us. The Holy Spirit is called a he. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sing the Psalms. You know, it's a warrior king who is typologically related to the Savior. And he sings about, you know, the wicked's teeth. What is it? I'm just saying it. The, the wicked's teeth and pieces break. Psalm mm-hmm. 3. It's like, you know, this is Christianity is. It's not just for men. It's not like a you know a machismo religion, right. but it has a masculine edge. Yeah, and young men are not going. They're going to just go. I don't want anything to do with that. To the degree that we accept this kind of effeminate, androgenized sort of ungendered worldliness mm-hmm. as an outreach strategy, it's just right. like shooting yourself in the foot as a hunting strategy. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. We've been going yeah. at it. We're almost coming up on 40 minutes here. It's been a lot of, oh, lot of wow. fun. I know, right? Time flies. That was quick. I know. Goodness. Um, so I'm just going to ask you this because you do a really good job of articulating you know, theological concepts that can be difficult in a way that's very easy to understand. And I've heard you talk about this and I've, I've been shifting away and, and really embracing a more Kyperian worldview for the last couple of years and seeing all of life yeah. through the lenses of what God has to say. And, and the fact that you know, and, and, and several interviews now are like back-to-back interviews now, depending upon when the Dr. Grant interview comes out, we're going to have this conversation about two kingdom theology and, and why that, where, what the error is in that. But for the sake of these pastors that are listening in, who may be wondering why some Christians, especially the post-millennial persuasion, um, but not exclusively post-millennials are taking to the streets and declaring the Lordship of Christ in all of life. What is that motivated in? What is that rooted in? And I just want to let you freestyle on that and explain what what's the difference between a two kingdom theology and an understanding that the kingdom is here now and it's advancing, and and forceful men lay hold of it. Yeah, yeah, man. Okay, uh, uh, let me make an asterisk for nuance because I think this is important in this conversation. Is that when we're talking about things like a Kyperian one kingdom with four spheres or three spheres, depending how you talk about it or a two kingdoms model, you have really good practice in both of those in different areas. That's a good word. A lot of guys who are classically two kingdoms, classically like old school, you know, from the Reformation, two kingdoms, and they would have articulated something similar to a redemptive kingdom, a common kingdom, argued similarly, did not make the errors that many two kingdoms people today make. And the, the nuance would be when we're talking about things like Hyperianism, sphere sovereignty, sphere sovereignty versus two kingdoms theology, we're taking models and we're putting them over the scripture as the, basically, uh, what's the word, hypotheses. Mm-hmm. And then we're asking the biblical text to confirm or disconfirm our, our hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And with both of them, there are ways that you can talk about Two, in a two-kingdom sounding way that I think can be helpful. Mm-hmm. And Kyperian sphere sovereignty, I think, can be helpful. But we have to admit up front that both of these are systems and frameworks that we're taking to the scriptures and then, you know, trying to... And one of them, I think, is more biblical than the other. Right. But um, neither of them is necessarily... There's a way of oversimplifying mm-hmm. both of them in a way yeah. that is bad. That said, 
my my biggest issue with two kingdoms theology comes in that fundamental distinction between what they call the common kingdom and the spiritual redemptive kingdom. And they, they developed this from Jesus statement about my kingdom is not of this world, um, appeal a lot to the Noahic covenant and that sort of thing. And Genesis nine, I'm, I'm yeah, Genesis nine. Mm-hmm. And my problem is that when I go to those texts, I don't get two kingdoms theology out of them. And mm-hmm. I understand some people do, but I just think they're, they're pouring, they're building a lot on, you know, a, a, a little, yeah. When it comes to that, uh, to me, the scriptures, the way the scriptures speak is that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of God's beloved son and Jesus Christ from his death, burial, resurrection, ascension and enthronement has been enthroned as the king over all things, all authority in heaven and on earth. He rules over and instructs us in every part of what it means to be human. Second Timothy says that. Uh, the word of God, so the scriptures, are sufficient for the man of God to be complete, equipped for every good work. Mm-hmm. So every political good work, sexual good work, relational good work, sociological good work, philosophical good work, the scriptures are sufficient for that. And also because they teach us how to rightly read the book of nature as mm-hmm. a separate conversation. Right. But the error that you get with a lot of two kingdoms guys is that they – they end up kind of restricting the transformational effects of regeneration and sanctification of God's new humanity to an ecclesiocracy sort of world where they, they kind of restrict them to, they restrict the transformational works in an individual community, family, nation, whatever, just to these sort of worshiping spiritual kingdom activities. And then they mock people who say like, you know, well, how does being a Christian change the way that you make stir fry or right. you know, whatever change the way that you cook food? And you're like, well, have you been to Iran? Of course it does. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried to eat bacon in Jerusalem? Like it's <laughs> <laughs> every part of what it means to be human is redeemed, regenerated and being sanctified by Christ. So of course that's going to have transformational effects. The kingdom of God is not of this world, but it did invade this world. Mm-hmm. It is colonizing this world. It is throwing down idols and strong towers and strong places of this world. And it's building a kingdom whose increase there will be no end. Uh, the government's going to be upon the shoulders of this king. Isaiah mm-hmm. 2 says the nations are going to stream to this Christ. And a lot of these Old Testament prophecies, by the way, seem to be set in a pre-glory context. So when I think about what the gospel is and does, I tend to land much more in a Kyterian yeah. frame than I do in two kingdoms. Some people will say, all I mean by two kingdoms theology is that the church is not the state. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I actually agree. I agree with that, you know? So it depends what they mean, but those are some of my big broad. So who has been thoughts. the most helpful as you've read th- through this and worked through this for you, who has been the most helpful and said, guys are listening to this and man, I want to explore this more. I want to read what's some of the best works that you've really gleaned from. Mm, okay. Uh, Brian Matson, I think is his name, okay. compiled, and there's, I think it was two guys. They compiled three essays, and I think it's called Cultural Amnesia. It's like 100 pages. Super, just quick, helpful treatment. Another guy that I really enjoyed is a philosopher. I think he's a Dutch philosopher. His name's Willem Uweneel, O-U-W-E-N-E-E-L. Okay. He had a book on Two Kingdoms Theology. And I don't even agree with him on tons of stuff in that book, but it was, I think, a devastating philosophical critique of two kingdoms theology. Um, and then in in a practicum world, because honestly, I think most of us, 
don't develop our doctrine of these things first and then their application, I think most of us come to them through applicational paths Mm -hmm. where we see a certain mode of cultural engagement and then we follow it upstream and we ask, how does that guy think about the relationship of this kingdom to the world? Right. And you can end. So if you really like that kind of friendship evangelist, these sort of thing, you're much more likely to find a two kingdoms guy at the top of that. Mm -hmm. And if you see people agitating at abortion clinic and street (laughs) preaching and, you know, going to their city councils and telling them to defy the Supreme court, (laughs) you're probably dealing with a Kyperian. Yeah. So honestly, guys like Douglas Wilson and, and gang, the Muscovites, you know, were, were deeply influential to me. And also just, um, the apologia folks, even though I didn't really discover them till late later on. And then I was like, they're very similar to me. This is weird. It's like looking in an older mirror that knows karate, but uh, they, (laughs) they, uh, definitely do a good job of this. That's good. But Those have been, there's more, but those have been really influential to me. Okay. Well, let's wrap up the conversation talking about what you're doing with this, with Dan and the school bus. And Dan, (laughs) Dan is your associate pastor. And there's a lot of guys that are working through They're They're, you know, making 32 grand at their youth pastor job or their associate pastor job. And they're needing to do some things on the side. And I've just, you got a creative way to start a business and, and make some extra money on the side. So tell us what you and Dan are doing with the school bus. Okay. We're really, this really isn't a dumb idea. I'll preface it with that. Maybe. <laughs> it could be a dumb idea. Well, it's going to be interesting when you when, of... when you preface it with that. I mean, everybody's on the edge of the seat now, you know? It's a dumb idea. It could be a good idea, but at least it has a known amount of risk. Like, I know how many dollars I'll lose if it fails utterly. So we bought a school bus. It's a 2007 International PB40500 model. It was a special needs bus. A uh, little shorty. Okay. We are stripping it renovating it, converting it to a motorhome, and starting a short-term rentals business. And this all is C.R. Wiley's fault, wrote the man, <laughs> man of the, of the house, house. There we go. The cosmos. Because this is productive property. We're yep. trying to make things that we own that will pay us money. And past- pastoring is very, very, uh, it's a high-risk job. Because right. if you do it well, you might actually lose your job, mm-hmm. especially today. Yeah. So it's important for pastors to diversify their income to be anti-fragile. And so this is a it, it, it'd be a small thing on the side. If it succeeded, it wouldn't even be like a million. It doesn't have a high ceiling, mm-hmm. but it does have like a cash flow kind of thing. So gotcha. It's Very, fun. Yeah, man. Heck yeah. Well, I hope mm. to do this again. I mean, if, if listeners, if you've enjoyed this conversation, Brian and I, I think it was in March. It was in March, early March, did a live uh interview conversation that you can find in the podcast stream. I know probably 30 episodes back or something like that. And Brian, I hope to have you you on again, but let's go ahead and make this just a classic Shepherd's Crook interview. And I'll ask you the question I always ask at the end of an interview. And and that's simply uh, setting you up to praise God for his grace by asking you, why do you love Jesus so much? Man, I love the Lord Jesus because he is doing the thing that nobody else could do which is slaying the dragon hmm. and making a new humanity of dragon slayers in his image instead of people who are subservient and being crushed under the feet of the dragon. And I love that because I was enslaved to sin and death hmm. and lust and sexual immorality and greed and pride. And he 
saved me, gave me a new heart. And now I don't love those things. Now I hate those things. And only the Lord Jesus could have done that. That's awesome. Praise God, man. Uh, praise God. Well, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.